You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hi folks, this is Sarah, your host, and I want to thank you so much for downloading this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. As you know, it's a podcast all about shedding, limiting labels and beliefs so that we can each lead fulfilling, meaningful, and purpose-filled lives. I believe personally and in the conversations and what I'm seeing from other folks as well that we all are capable of more than we even imagine. So I hope that you enjoy this interview. I know in the pre-talk, I'm already excited to share our today's guest with you. So without any further ado, let me introduce you and tell you some background about our guest today, Connie Steele. Now, Connie is an author, an executive consultant, marketing and business strategist, and a fellow podcaster who has always been intrigued by the why behind companies and careers that thrive. So she's got an inquisitive mind. We already know that. She has more than 20 years of combined Fortune 500, mid-sized company, and startup experience. And she's actually observed firsthand how business is no longer binary, hierarchical, or absolute. Oh, don't you think we're going to talk about that today? Instead, Connie says business is nonlinear, collaborative, and fluid. And her new book, The Business... The Building the Business of You, a System to Align Passion and Growth Potential Through Your Own Career Mashup, is actually designed to help professionals and entrepreneurs navigate the new world of work while aligning personal purpose and professional advancement. So listeners, you know those are all things that are near and dear to my heart. So I'm really excited to now introduce you to our podcast guest for today, Connie Steele. Hi, Connie. Hi, thank you so much for having me on your show. Hey, so with that short introduction, is there anything folks should know about you before we dig in that you're thinking, well, this might be helpful for them to know first? I actually also happen to be a martial artist. It's something that you and I had a chance to talk about. So that has been a passion of mine when I was young, but I never fully pursued it. And it really wasn't until my late 20s when I had the chance to see a friend do it and realize, wait a second, like as an adult, there are all these other people who are pursuing this discipline and getting a black belt. And so that's where this no labels, no limits uh, sort of mantra kicked in for me at that point. Like, wait, there's no reason why I couldn't. And so I have a black belt now too. So we'll just add that to all your list of accomplishments. I know we were laughing about that, folks, because when the pre-chat where we're checking technology and all that and just getting to know each other a bit, there's Connie has super great energy. And I said, I was asking about what martial arts she studied and she told me, and I said, yeah, that wasn't a passive one. It was more of one of the in-your-face, just get it done. <laughs> she just left. She goes, that's me. So, hey, Connie, I do want to ask you something. You know, I know that you shared with me that you have kids. You've got a full life. What is one thing that you do that keeps you kind of focused on the big picture for you and your personal goals? A lot of that actually involves me having clarity on it's really having a plan at the end of the day. I think a lot of us go through life where we have these high level ideas or visions of what we want to do, but it's really not until you spend the time to crystallize and say, well, what is that goal that I want to truly achieve and map out that strategic plan to get there? Does it help coalesce everything that you've been thinking, everything that you've been wanting to do, creating clarity against this long list of 
tasks that you might have on a day-to-day basis. So for me, it's being very mindful and thoughtful of constantly reevaluating what is it that I'm trying to pursue and sometimes being okay with the fact that maybe that bigger picture goal might not be clear right now, but accepting the fact that as I continue to uh, gather information, I do these different things, I'm testing and learning along the way, it will provide that level of clarity that I want to continue to optimize what that goal will be and to then also refine that approach in getting there. Because let's face it, we are all always changing because of the career stages that we're in and life stages that we're in. Inevitably, those goals are going to be changing. So to assume that there's a fixed point or a North Star isn't true. And so when we can accept that, we're like, wait, you know, what I want in my 20s is not the same as what I want in my 30s when I start having children. Or even maybe you've had children in your 40s. You started just having started in your 40s. But each phase of your career is going to be different. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. That's something good to know because it can be easy to think if you set a goal and it was aspirational and you're making progress, like that's still a, an appropriate goal. And sometimes you may no longer even care enough about it other than the fact that you feel obligated because you started it, right? Exactly. Uh, there's this almost um, expectation that we have. Well, I set this goal and I I need to achieve it. And, and in the past too, for... For those of us who've been working for some time, there was a much more linear path to defining career success because there was more narrow definition of success. And when some of us have achieved some of those different points, still realize you're not fully happy. You're not really clear why. And that's where when you start peeling back the onion and you realize, hold on, my goals aren't really one dimensional. They're actually multiplicative. And they're equal in nature. And when you could start to um, look at what you really want to do in your life, your whole life, not compartmentalize and say, this is just my professional life. It's my whole life, professional and personal, because they're really intertwined now. You get more clarity on why you may have chosen different paths that you did, why you felt angst against certain roles and experience you've had. So uh, it, it is all about, in this example, being fluid and, and realizing that that's totally fine. Let's talk a little bit about that exact thing. So you started, you know, working in, in Fortune 500 startups. Different, you had a number of different business environment experiences, right? Yes. So... What were you doing before you entered that type of work? Did you do that right out of school? Did you always work? What What was your path to kind of where you are now? Sure. Well, I'm first generation Chinese American, born in the U.S., grew up on the East Coast. In my household, academics were seen as a pathway to success, even though I personally wasn't always focused on the academics that I wasn't so narrow. But that was a definition in my parents' eyes. In college, I conformed to family expectations by getting a math degree because mathematical sciences was absolutely a focus <laughs> and even getting a double major in statistics. That was also an expectation, but I had no idea what I wanted to do with that. And subsequently, there was the expectation then go straight into graduate school. But again, I'm like, what am I going to do? I can go to graduate school with that degree, but what am I going to do with that when I come out? So I went to the library, looked at vocational books, and actually learned about marketing. I realized, wait, this is really interesting. I, I, seem, I see the application of this discipline, but more importantly, seeing how the analytics, the math, the statistics feed into a, a specific discipline within marketing called marketing research. I'm like, bingo, that's it. I think this is what I want to do. I actually took a course in marketing. I realized I enjoy this. So that sort of set me on the course. So after graduate school, I got a job at a top consumer packaged goods company because that's really, you know, you're focusing on, you know, getting great grades and find the best companies to work for because that linear sequential career growth and progression model was what you followed. And so I thought, okay, great. I found it. I should be set. I should be happy. But I learned in that experience, school and work aren't the same. And realize, wait, this isn't fully a meritocracy. There's some hidden rules here that I'm not quite understanding. And 
I, I struggled admittedly. And that's when I think I really felt some failure. What's wrong with me? Because I had succeeded academically before. And this is where it became really valuable to have that village and having the support of others who said, you know, you're not alone. There are people to help you. And so, you know, you start to learn these different elements of work, the softer skills too, that can help you progress. And so once I had that, I started to accelerate, but yet then I had another transition where I'm like, wait a second, I don't know if I want to continue in this profession and in this industry. And I realized I needed to make a pivot. And it was to really fulfill this right brain and left brain aspect of me because I had been exposed to, you know, marketing and advertising and what that world was like, even though I had been pushed towards a very quantitative route my whole life, even though I grew up being very artistic and very creative. And I was, oh, wait, here's another discipline that I can move into. And at that time, technology was huge and I had been just passionately studying it. But I knew that was it. I'm going to go into marketing and technology. So I made a pivot, had a wonderful connection, again, learned about continual networking. And it was through a friend of a friend who helped me get a connection into AOL. And then, then I found my home. Honestly, I just knew when I was there. Those were it, your people. It was my, it really felt like that was my people and it was the right environment, but it was definitely this feeling. And yes, it was still at that time, you know, prestigious company to be associated with it. So there were still probably some, some conformist aspects, but culturally it, it, it felt right. And then subsequently I stayed in the technology uh, space and, and continued to move up and marketing and having these different roles because I, I knew the importance of breath in addition to depth. But as I continued and, you know, I thought that next level, it's going to the next level and that that would make me happy when I was unhappy in one particular role or, or company, it was like, well, wait, no, it's because of me not moving up fast enough. Right. But once I got there and that eventually was shifting from again, large fortune 500 company to a mid-sized company to then to a smaller company, which was, you know, this scale up technology firm was part of a management team. I was the youngest female, only minority. I wasn't happy at all. My children were young. I was working a crazy number of hours and realized that it wasn't everything that it was cut out to be. And then I realized I had to make another career transition because I wasn't fulfilled. The environment itself was unhealthy. Inevitably, I was having physical and emotional sort of stress from it. And for those women who have children, young children, and you want to try to do it all, it's really hard. You realize that at that point, you do somewhat have to make a choice, or at least I should say I did because I wasn't good at compartmentalizing. I couldn't compartmentalize giving it all at work and then coming home and compartmentalizing all that and being with my kids. It's when I was all in, I was all in. And all I could ever do was think about work, which wasn't fair to my children. So that's when I sort of faced those fears and realized, wait a second, you know, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> and I took that leap of faith and decided to go into consulting so that I could find the flexibility, the control, whatever level of balance, because I think it's hard to inevitably find full balance. but find whatever balance worked for me so I could have more of the lifestyle that I was looking for. It wasn't about prestige and title and power and money and all these other things that like many of us do chase early on. It was about being fulfilled and helping me realizing I needed to be my whole self. So that's where I've been ever since. Wow. Okay. So I just want to point out for listeners, Connie just breezed through all those transitions. I did this, <laughs> then I had to pivot and I did this. So in between, there's a lot of learning that you're doing in those positions or those places and confidence and competence, right? Because you're, you are moving up there ultimately to find out that that wasn't filling what you thought it would and meeting a need. And you use the word lifestyle, right? It still wasn't meshing with you. 
right. you know, who you needed to be for yourself and your family and your probably your internal definition of success that you may or may not have clearly identified. So yeah. what do you mean when you say that today business is nonlinear, collaborative, and fluid? Well, if you think about how individuals are looking at work today, they are not taking a straight line path to moving up in their careers. They are shifting left, they're shifting right, they're trying different roles and experiences in industries because they're not sure what fits. But you can also see a pattern with businesses where Apple was computers, then all of a sudden they got into phones, and now, I mean, you see now they're in television. They have moved. And a lot of different industries that people wouldn't have thought of, they didn't stay in a very verticalized fashion and didn't continue to grow in a verticalized fashion. If anything, they've expanded, right, into things that don't seem much more conformist. When I mean business is also collaborative. We now work in an environment where it is not a line type of working scenario. We're not a factory anymore. It, it, the corporate environment and even just like isn't where we have one discipline working on some project, which then hands it off to the next group, which then puts their stamp on it, and then it hands to the next group, and then it finishes off with, you know, the final one that puts it out to market. That doesn't work that way anymore. It is multiple people coming together, a cross-functional team, who all come together to strategize, to conceptualize the idea, to then figure out the plan together, to map out the development and delivery plan. And a lot of that came from the way that I see the technology industry was because it used to be an approach where it was called waterfall, but it, it followed sort of that sort of industrial line thinking process where it was, okay, I've got one really one one big big planning cycle and then one big release and each of these groups have their role but it shifted to agile agile is all about starting you start small you have a clear goal you're iterating you've got that mvp and you're optimizing the mvp and it's you put it out there and you get feedback and you're refining you're getting feedback and for me the epiphany was that that agile first values that were started years ago, which then translated into principles, development principles, and then practices, then permeated into businesses, right? And then created products. But now people have to be an agile business. You have products that really show this adaptive, flexible, continuously evolving experience in your hands, which now has really embodied who we are, that you now live in this agile way of life. Things are always changing. You know, if, if many of you, you know, you look at your phone, you can optimize, customize that experience to whatever you want, whenever you want. That's always changing. And when you also look at this new generation of workers, this is what they know. And the only thing they know, this is like a tr electricity to them. So again, this nonlinearity, this collaboration, just working with people because there's an easy ability to create community online and this fluidity of switching states, whatever it may be, is now just inevitably the norm. It just occurred to me that part of that is as the businesses are more agile, as individuals, we it's that whole iteration of ourselves as well and not Absolutely. thinking we've got to be that final product out of the gate, but we just have to keep iterating right? Pivoting, learning, growing. Is that a logical um, extension of what you've been describing to assume that? 100%. 100%. I, I assume your audience is very familiar with the growth mindset by Carol Dweck's work. If you think about that, which I think her original work was in 1970s, I believe. It's so been a while. Wrong, right? It's been a really long it time. Been but, a while. but if you think about what that growth mindset is about, a fixed mindset is about being agile. <laughs> it's about continuously learning and growing. And you don't see failure as fixed. You don't see failure as a bad thing. Failure is about growing. And in the tech space, it's always about failing forward because it, 
it's how you learn. It's how you understand what works and what doesn't to get to product market fit. So really what a person's trying to find is that company person fit or, you know, lifestyle person fit, whatever it is, you're trying to find fit. And us as individuals, we're not one dimensional. But the work environment in the past was much more straight line. It was much more one dimensional because it was much more conformist and very rigid. It's not anymore. The pandemic has obviously exemplified that because we are working at home or if we had the chance, maybe some people were moving around. Maybe they're working in their homes. Maybe they decided to move somewhere else for a period of time and be a digital nomad and just get away. And they're working there. But technology has given you the ability to work wherever, whenever, however. The tools that you use, for example. I don't know about you, but you know we have Zoom that we're using, but there are multiple video conferencing platforms that you might need to switch between at any point in time yes. to be prepared for your work. There could be multiple communication uh, platforms in email, in Slack. There are multiple collaboration platforms that you might be using and multiple social channels, social media channels that you're on. But you are constantly context switching between all of them dynamically. That is now your world. That is another example of fluidity. I'd say another example is in people's identities today. So, you know, my kids are 10 and 13, but the world that they're growing up in is one where their, their friends or their peers are recognized and they're saying, you know what, I don't want to identify as male or female. I maybe, <laughs> you know, female today, or maybe I, I realize I am something else or, you know, they, there isn't this desire to be boxed in anymore. Because there's now a world of optionality that just didn't exist. Therefore, because of that optionality, it gives people that opportunity to sample, to try, to, to express themselves and, again, be fluid at the end of the day. So where do you see the extension beyond where we are today? So if you were to take what you've been describing and think 10 or 15 years out, right? Yep. Where do you see this evolution or the kids who aren't even born yet, right? That will be coming up and they'll be the age of your kids mm -hmm. 15 years from now, right? What, what are you forecasting in your brain that we'll be experiencing? The key thing is this shift towards individual agency, which, which is why that book is titled Building the Business of You. It's about you being your own CEO because in today's world right now, we are all product and services on the web, whether we like it or not. Anyone can look us up and there's a profile of us. <laughs> you have control over how you want to show up and uh, have that person evaluate if they want to engage with you or not, or, or them paint a perception of you based on how you want to shape it or not. But in this new world where you are now a product and service on the web, and there is the ability for companies or other individuals to hire you based on what you do, you then have to look at yourself as a business. You have to understand how to position yourself. You are a brand. You are a business. So therefore, you need to strategically plan what you're about. And so... That being said, and if people are choosing individual agency because they don't want to conform to an environment that doesn't fit them, what it means is that you're going to have a very different dynamic in, a, in the workplace where I almost really see this as almost an ad agency model where you do have a core set of people who are the full-time employees, but in order to be able to deliver in a in the speed in which business is going to be moving you need to be able to scale up down left and right and agencies have a breadth of consultants contractors temporary workers and so forth where they just bring in it's almost like a tiger team really so you're going to need to know as that manager who are the right people to immediately bring on to a project to have the right expertise in right level and 
will be inevitably people that you hire from all over the world because it's happening now. It is. And it's, it's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting, it, I think. It creates a different level of certainly collaboration. It creates a different level of complexity too, just because as a manager, you now really, really need to be in tune with people because now you're not only dealing with a uh, location challenge for some, but you're dealing with different personalities, different cultures, different disciplines. And so those people skills are going to be so, so important for a manager to build and refine and hone. Because if really you only get to see your team once a year, then you're really going to have to get to know, understand, you're really going to have to understand what's the best method to build that connection in a digital way. And it's not just sending a message. No. <laughs> right? I, it, that, that, I think we had talked about that level of EQ is going to be so important for people to build those people skills, those relational skills have to be honed because you're not going to be able to control what's happening in the same way. And you're going to have to almost have a sixth sense based on patterns that you see of people's actions and behaviors to then know how to steer your team effectively. So the manager of the future <laughs> is really going to need to be this amazing super manager, hybrid worker, right? Because it, it's going to need to encompass so many different skills. But also that individual too also needs to build those important people skills because you're going to be working as a team and your team is not all going to be based in the States. No. So you also have to know how to effectively influence and network yourself and communicate and deliver in a way that people feel like they're working in conjunction with each other, not in competition with one another. I think there's a real willingness to do, a willingness to do that. And when you talked about the EQ and really the being able to communicate and understand where people are, not just geographically or physically, but where they are on their life journey as well, right? Yes. So it's super simple to assume because you always worked one way and you had a shared language or an internal like show up in the office vibe kind of thing going on that that translates out, it doesn't, you know, and I know for me, my team is distributed and that nobody lives near me, <laughs> you know, we're in different, <laughs> we're in different time zones, but, and, and I will say as someone who has managed people and it's simpler when you can see them and touch them and, you know, sit down, have a cup of coffee and just be people together, not even work. It's different. And it takes different skills to do that. Cause really that what you talked about, the communication piece that's a make or break, right? When someone just lets you know what's going on. Right? So you don't hear from someone. We forget that power in other countries goes out, right? Exactly. It goes out. And I'm thinking, well, did you get my stuff done? Did you, see? and you know, I can get the email through. It's done. We don't have any broadband. I can't get it to you right away. I will. <laughs> So, but I'm thinking, okay, so let's, let's refocus. So, but that is a different environment. Would I get rid of this person because of those inconveniences? No, I really like this guy and he's a young family. I'm going, he's raising a kid. So, but it is, it's a different um, set of expectations and it makes the work richer, but it, it, you do have to show up differently. And more, I would say at least from an older worker perspective, more open, you know, and just going 100%. Yeah, let's just 100%. go with it. <laughs> go with the flow. That's why and, I said it's part of the book too, is that yeah. it is so much about being okay with situations constantly changing and realizing, all right, this is what happened. Didn't foresee that. Let's just move on and come up with a solution to move forward because we now all live in a world where uncertainty is the new certainty. Yep. When we can accept that and realize too, 
just change is constant. You're able to train yourself to adjust to those circumstances and not be so focused on, well, I need X done. Cause I, that was the culture. It's like, I, I need to have this done by this time. Otherwise I can't move forward. And that is very much this line process. It's like, it's fixed here. And then I can't do this here. And I can't do this here. There's and that's pretty much ingrained, right? Yes. 100%. You can hear it when people say, well, I'm waiting for, and that is the yeah. death knell. When someone tells me, well, I'm waiting to hear back from, I'm going, is there anything you could do in the meantime? And well, they were going to email me. I said, is their email even working? <laughs> Don't make assumptions, call them. Right. But, but there's always something we can do. Right. I so, think there's always something in which you assume, oh, there's, there's always going to be roadblocks. I think one of those things. It's life, that's yes. Psych- yeah, psychologically, you realize, all right, there's always going to be something ahead that will inhibit me in some way. And it's a matter of then how do I deal with those barriers and how do I overcome them such that a lot of times it's fear. The first thing is like, oh, no, I'm scared and I don't know what it is. But when you can take a step back and evaluate what is that deep-seated emotional root cause, then you can actually problem solve in a rational way versus everything being very emotional, which is biologically how we react first, which is what most people are not aware of. It's, it's, we don't react logically first. It's emotional first. Nope. But you have to build right into the feelers. Exactly. But you have to build the skill to understand what your emotions are reflecting. That's when you're able to then move forward rationally. So let's talk about your book a bit then, because I'm assuming that building the business of you includes understanding not just marketing yourself or or putting yourself out in a particular way, but being a person who can adapt and shift. Yes, it is all about helping an individual be that CEO by giving them a system to strategically plan. A lot of us were not taught strategy in school. I certainly wasn't. I was very fortunate that I think my happenstance, I was put into a role and honestly, it was a test (laughs) with this boss who just threw me into this project to see what I would do. But I didn't know what it was. And and it was just through that fortune experience and, and, learning and growing from it that I now understand what strategic planning is for organizations. But what became clear to me when I was interviewing all these people, that's what they were doing. So in the book, it's breaking down what strategic planning really means in a way that's digestible and a way that people can operationalize that. So at the end of the day, it's intended to be a sustainable skill that somebody can apply for themselves to plan their career, but it's also a practical skill that they can use if they are working for a company or if they want to start their own company, because all companies do strategic planning (laughs) to get to where they want to go. And in the end, the end output for you as an individual is to create that right combination for your career, which I call a career mashup. So that you can really reflect all of your talents and interests and passions and be your whole self. So I love your terminology, career mashup. And you were talking about how that is the new future of work, of you know, in definition. And you talk about the success definition changing as well. We say a little bit more about that, Connie. What has become very clear over the years is how people have looked at what success means to them. And I have, not only is there data out there, right? When you particularly look at the generational data, particularly millennials, they are looking at purpose. They're trying to define their own why, not just profit. They're wanting to achieve that work-life balance. They're looking for social impact. So. Their goals are very much multiplicative. It isn't just wealth creation or title or power. In fact, a lot of times it's not, and they won't even take maybe a job 
has more prestige, more money, and and a bigger set of responsibilities. But you're finding people leaving those kinds of industries or not even taking those jobs because that's not what they want in their life. They realize their professional and personal lives are intertwined and that holistic view of who they are is really important to take into account. And so as a result, you have these shifting goals that some may define a job or a career as, well, it's about money. But you have a lot of people who are saying, no, it's not about money. It's this higher order fulfillment. But fulfillment is also defined very broadly and it's very individualistic. So that's really a key piece is that you, you naturally see it and millennials and younger because they've seen somewhat of the repercussions of those that have been older who have been their parents having worked in their corporate jobs for some time and unfortunately not having the stability that maybe they were perceiving they would have. And then also others where they've worked for some time, they're realizing, wait a second, is this what it's all for? Not sure this is what I want. And so inevitably, people are reevaluated. And I think the pandemic also has brought this to the forefront and made a lot of people reevaluate, what is it that I really want out of life? Who I want to be? Who do I want to support? Who do I want to be around? And it's just created a lot of that introspection. And I know I've been having conversations with folks and I'm just asking people, what are you putting back in that, you know, was taken, right? That you, you couldn't be traveling, you couldn't have all this busyness, but are you being intentional about what you put back in? Or are you just saying, wow, once I can do all of it, I'll do it all again. And most people are saying, I'm really thinking about what I say yes to, right? Because there's the recognition of how much stuff you do because of a to use your word, conformist, right? Go along, get along, be part of the team, whatever, and that it doesn't fit for them. The pandemic has shown there has been a different way to work that maybe others didn't have the opportunity to be exposed to. Yep. It forced it. And you see that in general, there has been articles espousing the importance of looking at people as humans, this whole notion of authenticity, it's everywhere, but it has felt that, that it's felt that it hasn't been realized. I mean, everybody's talking about it, that yes, we know we need to be, you know, authentic to other people and recognize the individuals, but it hasn't translated into practice. And this forced, it forced a lot of organizations to have to think differently, have to be compassionate because we're all human in this kind of situation. You know, your book has some practical tools and tips in it and some important information in there. Are there a couple of those that you think stand out most for folks or is it a linear, like when people read it, is does it take me from point A to B to C? It does take people from point A to B to C to explain the reason as to why the world of work has changed subsequently what people want out of it as a result but it does go through the system in a sequential way to help people understand what they all are however as a strategic planning system the reality is that it also has to be dynamic because we now live in a world that's dynamic that has to be adaptive and flexible so it is one that is very much flexible But to help people understand it first, it is sequential. So I guess this might be helpful just to go through them quickly. Let's do it. The first part of this system is spotting the trends. All this is, it's about doing your research and analysis on the industries, the roles that you may be interested in. But what you're doing is you're looking at it at a macro level way to say what's happening in those spaces. So you can get some understanding of the implications 
to those industries, those markets, to those roles, to those jobs, to those skills. But then you have to do your own internal analysis for you. Understand what fits you personally, what environments, what those jobs are, what those skills are, what your strengths are. And, and it, in the book, we talk about you doing a 360 degree review of yourself. So you can have a great understanding, but all that data and analysis helps you then build your plan. And that's the second part, which is called creating your compass. And the reason why it's called creating your compass and not know a start is because the compass, which is your goals, it's not fixed. So the intent is to help you define that plan and go through a more structured way of laying out all these great ideas that you have, but in a way where you're like, oh, wait, this is an aspirational goal, but how am I going to get there? And then the third is called preparing for change. As we talked about, <laughs> many times what gets us stuck is because we're scared. And so now that you might have this plan, you get excited to go, but then something holds you back. So what you have to do is understand what is holding me back and go through that retroactive exercise or retrospection, I guess. Say, wait, what is it that is causing me the most angst? And, and diving deep into why and understanding if you are playing it out in the negative the whole time, when in reality, that's not going to happen. And so... It is you putting it out on paper and understanding, wait, is this really likely to happen or not? And once you understand that, then it's about saying, well, what is the smallest thing that I could do of this plan I have that could help me build confidence and get over my fear? Because many of us, when we plan something out, it's this big, huge goal. We get scared because it's, it's this big bang thing that we're trying to attack. Of course, we're not going to do it. But if you were to break that down into all those steps, which you have to do anyway, like, oh, wait, it's actually not that bad. If I start on things that gives me the least anxiety, I'll just start there. And then you build confidence. You keep on chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. So that's that's the third part of the system. The fourth is building your village. It's people. So at that point, it's helping many understand why <laughs> and how that village of support that you have to be continually building is so necessary to help you achieve the plan that you've created. Step two. But what does it mean to build that authentic relationship? Because a lot of us are scared to network. It feels inauthentic. It feels transactional. We don't really know how to do it. But when you uh, reframe it where you're really about building friendships and you're intentional and it's a mutual value exchange, it is not that I'm trying to get something from you. It's how do I help you in return? Then it doesn't feel so scary. And the last is all about building the skills because inevitably through this whole process in your plan, you probably define some skills. Now it's about actually implementing them, but there's an emphasis on the EQ, the emotional intelligence, the soft skills, because not everybody realizes, oh, wait, what is a soft skill? I mean, what is actually emotional intelligence to begin with? So we go through that. But if you think about all those steps and now try to envision this linear five-step approach, which is research, analysis, planning, and execution to one where at the center, it's your compass. You always have some goal in the middle. But really around it, which is always feeding your compass, is spying the trends, which is data, networking, which is people, and then you have the skills. You're always kind of building those skills along the way, those experiences. They are each feeding each other bidirectionally. And throughout this whole process, though, you have to deal with change and everything that you do. So that is the dynamic strategic planning process that you're going to go through. But first you need to set a plan. If you have no plan, then you have nothing in the center that you're working towards constantly. But that's really how it shifts from one that is linear and sequential seemingly to one where you realize, oh, wait a second. No, this is like constantly dynamic, but it just becomes innate. You just always know, well, yeah, I have some plan towards something. But each piece of information I get, no matter where it's a person, a skill, or a report that I see, they all feed each other. Okay, I'm going to switch gears on you for a second. Here. Okay. I want to go <laughs> no back problem. to your martial arts. Well, because okay. <laughs> we're getting ready to wrap up the interview pretty quick here. But Great. I'm so curious, you know, I think about what you shared and your background in martial arts. And I'm wondering if 
you see any parallels for, you know, the philosophy that you learned or what it took to get your black belt to the journey you've been on over these past couple of decades, just doing all this work? A hundred percent. I would say first, it is breaking out of those labels and realizing, wait, no matter what age you're at, you can start something. And it is going to be a journey, but if there's that commitment and persistence, you can build that skill over time and achieve that level, right? So in this case, you reach that black belt, that pinnacle, you can absolutely do that. So I'd say that's one, but just the philosophy of martial arts, and this is actually in the book, but that whole notion of flow, you know, as if people are Bruce Lee fans, right, you know, is saying it's be water, right? And so you are always in this flow state. And we know now in, in literature, it's more common, right? Talking about that flow state. When people are feeling like really on, there is a flow state that you feel, mind, body, connectedness. And I didn't even realize that when I was doing it, that's how I felt. I didn't know at the time, but I just knew this is something I had to do. And it gave me uh, a lot of calm when I had a really stressful day at work. As soon as I went to my martial arts, martial arts class and I got it all out, it just helped center me. That was the thing that helped me. But it it's just generally that philosophy as well from you know, how Bruce Lee was looking at it and how he even created his own, which is a mashup. He took the best of different disciplines and created his own style because he knew it just one specifically wasn't necessarily optimal. It is leveraging from all of them. And so a lot of those, and, and that honestly was somewhat in hindsight, to be honest with you. <laughs> so it was kind of writing the book and I realized, oh, wait a second. Huh, this is probably why I was so drawn to martial arts, Bruce Lee, not because he was Chinese per se, but it was because of, you know, the philosophy around it. That's where I think it helped me realize this is just a valuable part of my identity and help me be who I am. And, and it shows this, I guess, strength at the same time, this control and flexibility and agility all in that particular discipline. It kind of mirrored your, um, what you were doing professionally too, though, with the agility and flexibility in your career and your family. So it's an interesting counterpoint. Right. Right. And a lot of this, you know, it, you don't have that clarity about oneself, I think, till later in life. I know I didn't. And, it, but it's not until you, you've worked for some time in my case and you start just to, to evaluate your own why and, and see that there's been a purposeful decision and approach to things, even though in, at that time, it didn't seem that way. It happened, but there is a threading and a, and a pattern you start to really recognize, which starts to then explain who you are and why you are and, and how you approach things. And that just creates a lot of peace at the end of the day, because you have then, I think, really gotten to come to terms with what makes you you. Right. That is the hardest part is I think everybody's searching for who am I? What what really, really makes me me? What makes me stand out? What makes me happy? And that's a complex answer. But if you treat this as it's an ongoing journey to learn and it's OK if you fail, like you'll eventually get there and it, it, you can't put a time as to when. And that's that is OK. That's actually more than okay. Yep. If you find it, that's wonderful because a lot of people don't even find that. Connie, this has been such a great conversation and thank you for being flexible and hitting on different topics with me. But I want to, want to, I, but I want to let our listeners know where they should go to find you. Like, where do you hang out? Where's the best place for people to find your book? Um, 
Sure. And they stay connected with you. I'd say the best thing to do is go onto LinkedIn. You can look me up, Connie Steele. That's S-T-E-E-L-E. Remember, there's an E after that. And to learn about the book, you can go to the book website, which is www.bizofyou.co, B-I-Z-O-F-Y-O-U.co. The book's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. So it's everywhere, basically. <laughs> Everywhere you could want to be is the book. <laughs> and one past word of advice, one last word of advice from you or from someone who's just going, oh, I don't know, that would encourage somebody to take that first step forward. I would say it's really failure, mistakes, maybe you even see it as losses are all a good thing because that's really how you learn. It doesn't feel that way in the moment. It could feel absolutely crushing. It feels as if, you know, you're you're wondering what did I do and what's wrong? And it, it that unto itself could completely paralyze you. But when you look at the incredible learning you're gonna get out of it, that's the only way you know how to to some degree move forward in the right direction and not to repeat that project initiative or or work with those kind of people or be in that kind of environment again because it's a whole journey of figuring out what fits for you and if you don't run into these things you're never going to really know what feels right and what doesn't so try to turn that into a positive versus a negative and we all will treat that as a negative at first because nobody wants to feel like they're failing nobody wants to feel like they have a fear of shame or anxiety, but we all do. Every single one of us do. And that's okay. That's really okay. And don't be ashamed of that. Thanks. We'll take that advice to the bank. <laughs> so, hey, thanks so much, Connie. And we'll be back in touch. Thank you so much for having me. It was a wonderful and so much fun in terms of the discussion that we had. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.